Hey, good evening. How's everybody doing tonight? Y'all doing well? Hey, so, yeah, thank you. So good to see you guys. Uh, my name is Chad. I have the privilege of serving as one of the young adult pastors here on staff. And, man, we're glad that you made the choice to be here uh, tonight. It's going to be an incredible night. Um, I'm just really, really excited. One of those um, nights for me as, I, as I've been preparing, um, and it's just really been kind of boiling my blood. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm just, I'm pumped. And so it's going to be a great Great night. If you have a copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to turn to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter, if you're new to the Bible um, and you brought an actual Bible, that's cool. Um, you can just kind of find the middle and keep heading towards the end. Um, and then you'll find uh, like the book of Hebrews, kind of a bigger book. If you go to Revelation, you're too far, so just back up a few books and it'll be kind of in there. Um, there's a 1 Peter, so say 1 Peter. And then there's actually a 2 Peter, so you just go 1 Peter. And we're going to be in the fifth chapter. Um, you can also find it on your, uh, your cell phone. You you can download the most popular uh, Bible app called the YouVersion Bible app, and you can navigate over um, bottom right-hand part of the screen, hit more, and then events, and if, if, you, if I just lost you, ask somebody that looks like they know what they're doing, okay? They can help you find it. Um, so in 2003, it was my freshman year um, at, uh, at ETBU, and uh, didn't ever think that I would have the opportunity at that level to be on ESPN, uh, but for some reason, the, the, you know, things worked out for me to be on ESPN that year, and um, they were doing a story on one of our linebackers who was um, about to be deployed. It was two years into the war against uh, the Taliban at the time. And uh, this guy was, he was a part of the Army Reserves and he was going to be deployed. And so they came in and did a, a deal called Outside the Lines, Inside the uh, Huddle. I don't, some of y'all have watched, watched some of those things. And so they did this story on our little bitty school. And uh, it was so exciting because we were uh, round, uh, round two, excuse me, round one into the playoffs. And we're playing um, a really good team. Um, and like the first play of the game, I was able to sack the quarterback, uh, caused him to fumble. And then this guy, Greg, was his name, Greg Washington. Man, he comes up the middle on a, on a middle linebacker blitz. The cameras are rolling, and he picks up the fumble and takes it to the house, baby. And so it was awesome. And so they showed that play on ESPN, and I was like, Mom's going to be so proud. She's probably the only one that ever recognized it. Um, but anyway, it was a lot of fun. And I, used, I, I love that part of, uh, of my life, just getting to play football. And one of the things we did every uh, week is that we prepared ourselves to be the best that we could be by learning like our, our identity or our playbook, so to speak. And then we would take uh, hours, really, um, and, and every day before practice, we would watch our opponent. And we would break down our opponent. We'd figure out kind of the schemes of our opponent, if they were a run defense or if they were a pass, excuse me, run offense, a pass offense. And then I would, I would kind of narrow it down to the guy that I was going against. So this guy, when we were playing Trinity University, man, he was a, a giant of a man. I played defensive end. I was really undersized for my position. So I was trying to study my opponent and get every advantage that I could get. And so I'd pay attention to how they set their feet, how much space they put in between them and the other guy, and then what were the advantages that I could get and what were the disadvantages that I need to steer clear from because I wanted to have the greatest possibility to have the dominance of my opponent. And I'll tell you that story because we're going to be looking at um, a passage of scripture tonight. Peter's going to finish up this letter that he wrote to this church in Rome. He's going to finish up this letter and he's going to say, hey, you know who you're called to be. Know your playbook. Know that you are in Christ by his abundant mercy. You've been called to be born again. You are a, a blood-bought son of God once you place your faith in Jesus. Don't be surprised when you saw So he's going to tell you all about who you are and then he's going to land the plane by saying, but you better know your opponent. 
And he's going to give us some strategies. He's going to give us some information so that we can not live some sort of weak experience of Christianity, but, but that so that we can know our opponents, so that we have an advantage, and so that we can walk out in victory. And, and here's the thing that I've seen in the church uh, growing up, and I've just seen a church that, in America that is just really dominated by, by demons or dominated by the devil, or, or they're just really powerless. And I think a lot of it has to do that we really don't know who we're up against, and we also really don't know who we're called to be. And so we've journeyed 13 weeks to allow you to know who God has called you to be. And tonight, I want to give you some information on your adversary. And so if you have a copy of God's Word, let's dive in. Before we get actually to the text, I want to tell you, man, I'm going to tell you tonight that Satan is real and that he is roaring. And Peter's going to say in the text, and I want to tell you that you need to resist him with strong faith and with your community, and that we need to fight this, this battle not for a victory, but from the victory. And so, man, it's been awesome. We've been in this series called Royals. We've locked in on this, this statement that Peter makes that just explodes off of the page where he says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart for his own possession so that you may declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And so we said, man, we got to know that we are royal. And throughout the book of 1 Peter, man, it's been incredible. And if you haven't journeyed with us much, man, go to the podcast. We talked about your identity in Christ, and so you know why you were made. Why are you here? And we talked about that. We talked about um, anxiety and what do we do with our anxiety when it surfaces? What is Jesus telling us to do with our cares through the, the mouthpiece of Peter? We talked about marriage and the roles of men and women and what the Bible has to say about that. We talked about this profound reality that God, the God of the cosmos, the God of the galaxies, he is singing a song of pleasure and of acceptance over you, believer, that God is not this, this kind of angry codger up in heaven with his long beard like Gandalf smacking you on the head with his staff saying, how dare you think that or look that. You know, he's like, oh, my children, I'm so excited. I'm so ecstatic over the glorious reality that you're becoming. We've talked about suffering and how life is so hard at times, but that God gives us the ability to push through our suffering, that Jesus is not trying to remove our suffering from us. He's not trying to deliver us out of that, but he's, he's simply sitting with us in the midst of our suffering. And so tonight, as we finish the book of 1 Peter, I want to encourage you to run to the roar. You got to run to the world, the roar, baby. You got to run to it. You got to face your opponent head on that Christianity is not some weak passivity type of faith. It's where we get filled with the Holy Spirit of God and we get enamored with the great glory of God and we go after and we wage war against the enemy of God, which is Satan. And so I'm excited tonight because we're going to get into this text. If you have a copy of God's Word, 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 8, he starts out simply by saying, be sober. And then my version says, be vigilant. He says, because your adversary, the devil, he walks about like a roaring lion, 
seeking whom he may devour. Now, Peter, he loves this word sober. There's a lot of action words in this text tonight. And so I love kind of engaging the action word. So if you like to circle, I don't know if y'all have learned this yet, but it's so cool to like write in your Bible. And so you can grab a pen, you can write in your Bible. If you see your neighbor sitting next to you with the Bible, they're not writing in their Bible, write in their Bible for them, okay? And you just circle things. And it make guys, if you're trying to get a woman tonight, it makes you look more spiritual. Like you like act like, oh yeah, I write in my Bible a lot. There's highlights and circles. Yeah, right? And so uh, right in your Bible. So you can circle this word sober, vigilant as well. This word sober in the Greek is the word nepho, and it's used six times in the New Testament. Peter locks into this word, and he uses it half of the time. He uses it three times in this letter, and I think that he uses this word because it's, it's such a word that that he dropped the ball on. Like some of y'all, if you, if you know much about the story of Peter, there was a time where um, he was asked by Jesus. I mean, Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's like, Peter, you're my boy. You're like one of my inner three. I need you, Peter. I need you to, I need you to be sober and watchful and pray for me because I'm about to die. I mean, this is serious, right? And so Peter's like, I got you, dog. I'm your boy. And so he goes, and Jesus, like he's broken in prayer, and he comes back, and he finds Peter sleeping. And so Peter's looking back on his life. He's like, I was not sober. I was not vigilant. I was not watchful when, when Christ needed me the most. Oh, please, church, be sober. Be vigilant. This word vigilant is this idea that, that you're to pay close attention, that, that, that you're to, to have your senses heightened. Paul uses this word in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. He says, be on guard or, or be vigilant. Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous and be strong. It's like, guys, you know this, and some of you girls know this. Um, y'all know what I mean by hunting eyes and hunting ears? Like, like I mean, it's, you know, I got to put up a deer stand this last week, and I'm so excited because I've been over the last two years. And so my 300 Win Mag, I don't even know if it can put a bullet on one, but if it does, bye-bye, deer. Okay, some of you are like, he's so mean. I don't like him. I'm leaving, right? Uh, but anyway, so when you get your hunting eyes and ears on, man, you're sober and you're vigilant, right? So you know how it is. Like, you're out there, you know, you're sitting in your stand. It's like 5 a.m. in the morning, you're doing this. And then you hear like the, you know, and you're like, you pull your gun out, you know, and you're like, oh, I'm about to smoke something. <laughs> it's going to be a monster, about 18.3,000 class. I mean, I'm about, I'm about to be in this magazine. <laughs> and it just sounds like it's so loud, right? Because you're, I mean, your ears, you're so heightened and you're just like, oh, it's going to be huge. It's a squirrel that's right there in the tree. <laughs> And like, come on, man, I'm about to blow this squirrel up just because you thought me was a big deer, right? And that's the idea that, that Peter's saying, hey, sober up, be vigilant, be watchful, get your hunting eyes on, get your hunting ears perked up. It's time not to be passive. It's time not to be apathetic. It's time to be sober. It's time to be watchful. And he tells us why, because we have an opponent. We have an adversary. Just like we spent hours watching film of our opponent because, guys, it would be foolish if, if, if I told you, well, we really, we're playing in a big game this weekend, and I may be on ESPN, but, and it's a playoff game, but, you know, I'm just not going to really get ready because I really don't think they're going to show up. It's like, no, they're coming. It's going to be a battle for 60 minutes. You better, you better get ready. 
because you have an opponent. If you're taking notes tonight, I want to tell you this first truth that Satan is real and Satan is roaring. Satan is real and Satan is roaring. C.S. Lewis says this when it comes to Satan. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors in which to our race can fall about the devil's. One is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So when it comes to Satan, I really think there's two ends of the spectrum that some of us fall in. There's like the, the substitious over here, like you really don't think much about Satan, you really don't believe in him that much. And then over here is the superstitious, like you're like really kind of creepily enthralled with Satan, and you blame Satan for everything. So um, C.S. Lewis says, we either underthink about him or we overthink about him, but, but the scripture would say you need to find some middle ground. And so on the substitutious end, like you really just don't believe much about Satan. And a lot of us fall into this category. Uh, there was a, a, a poll done recently um, polling millennial Christians. Barnard's group did this and they found that 40% uh, strongly agreed that Satan is not a living being, but is just a symbol of evil. And so you're the substitutious person. You're like, you know, like you think back to, I don't know if y'all watched, um, cartoons growing up. I was a big Looney Tunes. That was my era. And so Looney Tunes, you see like the, the angel and the devil that pops up on the shoulder, right? And like having a discussion, should I? And the angel's like, yeah, do it, do it. I mean, the, the demon's like, yeah, do it, do it. The devil, do it. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. And the angel's like, no, you should not. You shall not do that, right? And so a lot of us think like that's just like, oh, it's just a cute little devil. Or maybe some of y'all went as a devil to Halloween or you went to a Comic-Con or a Mad-Con or something like that. I'm, I'm going to be Satan. I'm going to be like the Deadpool, the devil, whatever, you know, you want to be. And so, and you wore like a you know, some red suit because you thought it was cute and a little pointy tail, the little, you know, and that's you're like, oh, the devil, right? And so some of y'all, that's like, that's your kind of your substitious. You're like, you know, it's just kind of cute. So it's a symbol of evil. And then on the other end is like the superstitious, right? So this is uh, y'all in the house. It's like the devil made you do everything. Like you're in like seventh grade and, and uh, you, you know, you moon somebody off the school bus. May or not, uh, that may or may not be my story. And, um, and so you got in trouble. You're like, man, the devil, man, he just made me. I just, you know, the devil. You know, or maybe you've had a story like this. Um, today, um, I, I ran home real quick. I was kind of like in a hurry, like hurry, hurry. I need to change some clothes, and I need to print my notes, and, and I grab this stuff, and I'm like, all right. And I, and I turn the lock on my door, and I pull the door shut, and I go out to my truck, and I'm like, Oh, man, I locked my keys in my house, and my wife's out of town. I called Josiah, and I'm like, hey, bro, you won't believe what the devil has done. <laughs> he pulled my keys out of my pocket, left them in the house, and made me shut my door. Can you come give me a ride? And so we blame the devil for everything, or, or maybe, you know, you're the person that, like, your friends invite you over, and they're like, hey, let's play a board game. You're like, how about Ouija? Like, no, Uno would be just fine, okay? We're not, you know, mm -mm, no weeds, mm -mm, seen the move, mm -mm, no. And so when it comes to Satan, man, we need to be very clear that our opponent is real, and we need to get to know him. This word Satan is used 36 times in the New Testament. It, it's an adversary. It's one who is against us. The word devil is used 35 times. The word devil means slanderer. Satan is called Beelzebub seven times. This word Beelzebub, not a common word in our vernacular today, but it literally means Lord of the Flies, which is not a common phrase. Let me just say, the, the scripture is trying to say that Satan is, he's filthy. He's got flies all around him. It uses this word accuser of the brethren, that he's called the father of lies, a serpent, a dragon. He's called the prince of this world, that Satan is mentioned 250 separate times in the New Testament. That's almost once per chapter. 
And so if you come in here and you, you're kind of superstitious, you're like, Satan's not real. The scripture, Jesus believed that he was. And if you're superstitious and you're blaming for everything, well, you, you've kind of given Satan more credit than he deserves. But note this, that he is real and that he is roaring. Satan's on the hunt, man. Peter tells us that he's walking about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That Satan hunts amongst the hurting and the sick. That's who he looks for. He doesn't look for the strong in faith. He looks for the hurting and the sick. And I'm firmly convinced that the majority of the hurt that is in my life and in yours, the majority of the sickness that we experience from our soul being sick in our life is a result of our sin. That Satan wants to get you to sin because sin is the thing that separates you from God. Not the wages of Satan leads to death. It's the wages of sin. And so Satan, he's like a master fisherman. He has this unique ability to, to bait the hook of our flesh, to make, to make sex look so appealing or to make money look so appealing or to make status look so appealing so that we run after it with everything we have. And then when we, when we grab it, the hook sets and he's like, I gotcha. That Satan, his main job is to bait the hook of our flesh. And before Satan's ever mentioned as a lion, like in, in 1 Peter, he's mentioned as a snake. That we learn in Genesis 3 in the book of beginnings how the whole mess began was that Satan came slithering along like a snake and he deceived a woman named Eve and convinced her that God was trying to rob her and so she began to listen to the lies of the serpent. He baited the hook of her flesh. She was promised by the snake that she would receive insight, knowledge of good and evil and she took the bait, the hook set in and caused a fracture in humanity. This is how Satan works. When I was living in Louisiana, one of the coolest things I got to do was I got to go alligator hunting. That's what they call it, alligator hunting. It's all like one word together, all right? And so um, the way you hunt alligators is that you get um, a lottery, not like, you know, scratch-off lottery, but you win the right to hunt an alligator, and then you get um, these hooks. The way we did it was these hooks about the size of my finger, kid you not, um, and you hang them from a tree. Now, you don't just hang naked hooks, and most of you guys know this, that when you go fishing, you don't just go, like, what you trying? You got a top uh, water bait, you got a spinner, you got a worm. Like, I got a hook. Like, that ain't going to work, all right? And so uh, you got to put some bait on the hook, all right? And so the way that you uh, hunt alligators is that you get the giant hook, and you get, like, raw chicken, and you put the raw chicken just all over the hook, right? And then you suspend it above the water. Then the alligator comes along sometime during the night, and then they grab the chicken, and they begin to swallow the chicken, and they swallow it down, and that hook actually sets inside of their stomach. And then you go out on a john boat. So we were out at Wallace Lake Dam, and we're out on this swamp and this john boat, and we're going and checking the lines. Well, the lines were down. And so I'm like, oh, it's going down, about to shoot this alligator. And so you had the line go down, and then you actually grab the line, and then you start pulling the alligator towards you. And that hook has been set in his stomach, and when the alligator, he fights you for a little bit, then he starts swimming at your boat like, oh, it's about to go down. And then when that alligator comes, he actually snaps up like this, and then you shoot him right there. Maybe like sideways, pow-pow, right? And so you, you shoot him. Now, the way that you catch an alligator is that you put bait on a hook, and that's the same way Satan catches you and me. John Owens, he's dead and gone, but he writes this, and I love this. He said, Satan hides the danger associated with sin. He hides it. it says that, that he says that sin covers the hook with bait. 
It is, of course, impossible for sin or Satan to completely remove the knowledge of danger from the soul. But isn't that why it's so uh, attractive to us? Like there's something risky about sin? Like, like if, I, if I snort this line, if I smoke this, if I drink this, if I go there with her, it's kind of just, it's kind of thrilling. It's kind of dangerous, but, but we're drawn to it. Owens goes on and he says, but it so takes up the, pro, the and, excuse me, it's, but it so takes up and possesses the mind and affections with the attraction and the desirability of sin that it diverts the soul from realizing its danger. See, sin can't hide the fact that it is dangerous, but it does so possess us and so woo our hearts that we forget that it's there to kill us. So this is how Satan works, man. His main business is to advocate, promote, assist, activate, and confirm our bent to sinning, thus robbing us from our faith. And then when he gets us down in our sin, when he gets us sick on our sin, he comes in and he devours the faith that remains. That's his goal. That's what he's after. He's trying to rob you from your faith. Or he will roar in the midst of our darkest hour and convince us that God has abandoned us. And he's a punk. And Peter's saying we've got to rise up, that he's, we've got to know our opponent. We've got to watch his film, his, his tactics, his techniques, his schemes. And we've got to know that he's walking around like a roaring lion seeking to kill you. That he's, he's roaring, not sleeping, that he's angry, that he's moving, he's deliberate, that he wants to ravenously consume your victory and your faith. Listen, if faith is a muscle that we grow, that we exercise, and that we work out, if faith is our muscle, Satan feeds off of the flesh of our faith. And so Peter says, be sober, be vigilant. I love the scripture, man, because somewhere along the way, Christianity kind of got a bad rap, like it was for like uh, kind of, uh, you know, guys that were not so brawn, guys that, you know, or, or ladies that were just not, you know, really able to uh, take care of their, themselves. And so Christianity, somewhere along the way, it kind of got uh, labeled as this, you know, for the weak, and, and Jesus was real effeminate in the Renaissance era, beautiful artwork, but a lot of us have locked in, like uh, some of us believe that if we were in a wrestling match, with Jesus to this day, like you think you could take him because uh, you're like, man, it's really not that big of a deal. But um, the Jesus that you find in the scriptures and the, and the response, the men and the women that you find in the scriptures, man, they are ferociously, adamantly active against the enemy and striving to build and to declare the kingdom of God. And so I love that the scripture is not for the weak. It's not for the faint hearted, that the scripture doesn't poise the believer as somebody that's just, oh, I'm just so just, I just can't even, oh, I'm just weak and so sad, you know, but the scripture, it's going to say that when we get into the face of our enemy, man, we don't run from our enemy, man. We don't back down from a fight that the believer, that the man or the woman of God, they stand on the promises of God. And Peter would say that the response to the lion that is roaring, trying to devour you is not to run from the lion. Oh no, but to stand up and it's time to fight the lion. It's time to resist. And here's 
here's what he says, and I love this because he's not like, man, I'm telling you, you got to get ready. You got to get excited because Satan's coming after you. It's going to be game time, but you can rise up. And so in verse 9, another action word, he says, resist him. You could circle that. That's a great word, resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same suffering that you are experiencing by the excuse me, that knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brothers in the world. That the problem is a lot of us, we want to rest or we want to run when the scriptures say you need to resist. That it's exhausting sometimes. But you got to know that, that this is the only hell that the believer will experience this life. This is the only time that we have the the opportunity, see it that way, to fight Satan. And so, man, we're in this battle, and oftentimes we just, we forget we're in a battle, so we let our guard down. There's this kickboxing match um, that I got to see recently on TV, and, and I was like, oh, this is awesome. And so there's these two guys, and they're kickboxing, and this one guy, um, he thinks that the round is over, but it's not. And so he just kind of like turns this way, and then the other guy, um, he takes full advantage of what happens. Y'all check this clip out real quick. Is that you? Do you actually think for a minute that our adversary is going to pass up a knockout blow because you're tired? Do you think that he's going to show mercy upon your life because you've had a bad day? He's looking for that moment when you let your guard down and he'll move in with the realm of his jurisdiction, the realm of his authority, and he will knock you out cold. And if we're going to resist Satan, man, you got to understand that the, that the fight is not over. Death is our rest. This is our war. And it's time to resist the enemy. This word resist, it means to set oneself against, to withstand, or to oppose. It's, it's you're getting in the ring, you're fighting. James 4, 7, he says it like this. Submit yourselves, uh, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The, the number one way that you resist the devil is you say no a lot to your sin. You say No. You know that you don't have to act on every sexual inclination that comes your way. You can tell your body no. That you don't have to eat everything that gets in front of your face and gorge yourself and binge eat or, or not eat because of some body image issue. You can say no to those things. 
that there are lies that Satan is spitting at us every day, and you have the authority, believer of God, you, you have the ability, if you're a believer of God, to say no. And so if you want to resist, the number one way you resist the, Satan is, man, you say no to sin. John Owens, the same guy, he says this, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. The way you resist is you say no to sin. And he goes on and he says this. He says steadfast in faith. This word steadfast, it literally just means that you're strong in your faith. And the way you get strong in your faith is you say yes a lot to God. There's so many of us, man, we're, we think that, that if we put on yoga pants and, and so a, you know, a nice spandex shirt and we go to the gym with a smoothie and hang out, we've worked out. <laughs> That's not a workout, all right? <laughs> Just because you look cute and you got the, the, the nutrients, is that, mm-mm. Guys, like we get Muscle and Fitness Magazine and we're just, yeah, man, yeah, 17 ways to get biceps for this summer, whatever it is. But it never translates into doing curls. That ain't going to help you. And the way that we build our faith is we do what God's word says. This isn't rocket surgery, is what I like to say. Rocket science, brain surgery. Okay, so some of y'all kiss that. The wise builder hears Jesus' words and he puts them into practice. And the way that we are steadfast in our faith is that we say yes to God. We renounce spiritual apathy. We renounce the sloth mentality that if I show up, that's good enough. No, you've got to take God's word and you've got to activate it in your life. And it's going to be work at times. The road to godliness is a crawl. It's not a stroll through the park. It's not easy. There is no microwave in Christianity. God says you train, you sweat for godliness because it's good for this life and the next. We've got to give it all we got and be steadfast in our faith because we have an enemy that is seeking to devour us. And when we say no to sin and we say yes to God, man, we have courage and we have confidence to run at the one that is roaring at us. Lions, the way that they uh, hunt in the wild is that the male lion, he flexes his dominance in basically all he does is roar and he roars at his, uh, his prey, and then the prey is like, oh my gosh, I don't want to meet that guy, whoever he is. And so they run away from the roar, but what the, the prey doesn't know is that the lion has told his, his girlfriends, um, hey girls, hey, why don't y'all go lay out in an ambush, and I'm just going to let out a nice roar, and then when the prey runs away from my roar, you got him and then bring me some dinner, all right? And so the lion, um, the male lion, the way, that he, the way that he captures his prey is that he intimidates his prey with the sound of his roar so that the, the prey will run away and be ambushed by the rest of the pride. And Peter's saying, don't run away from your adversary. When you run away from him, you lack confidence, you lack courage, and you'll be easily entangled in the sin. And what Hebrews says is let us cast off that sin that easily entangles us and let us run the race of perseverance. And so when the lion is roaring his his lies from the pit of hell at you about your worth or about your relationships or about your work or about whatever it is, you've got to stand up on your two feet in the name of Jesus and you've got to run to the roar you got to resist him, being steadfast in your faith, and run to the battle. Don't run away from it. 
Run and wage war against the enemy of your soul. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The devil is a punk. If you were to run into the face of the devil, you would find out he ain't got no teeth. He's just all talk, trying to get all up in your head. But run to him, resist him, and know this, man, you're not alone. I love this, Peter. He says that knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brothers or by your brotherhood in the world. See, Satan wants to isolate you. He wants to isolate you and make you feel like you're alone in your struggle, you're alone in your sin issue, so that then you begin to kind of cover up and make your sin more like a secret. And so here's what we do. Don't, I mean, don't judge me because I know I've done this and I won't judge you, but don't we um, just kind of put on our pretty face for church? We're like, I'm going to paradigm. And so I'm just going to get everything together and make sure that people know that I am, I'm a good person. I'm at church. And so all the while, we have some sort of secret sin that is like a cancer that is plaguing our life, but we dare not let anyone know that we struggle. And maybe that's because you were judged at a church for something you you wrestled with. God will deal with them. Our pastor, Phil Hopper, he always says that the power of sin is in secrecy. That when you make sin a secret, you're giving it power and dominion in your life. That we don't get in trouble when we mess up We get in trouble when we cover up. Everyone messes up. You're human. You're not perfect. Don't put that standard upon yourself. It's when we try to cover up and act like we have never messed up that we begin to have this this sin begin to grip our lives. And so the, the call, I know this is hard. I know this is not easy. But don't cover up. Open up. Sins can't grow in the light. We're not perfect. I don't pretend to be perfect. Who are the people in your life that are holding you accountable, that are knowing your sufferings, that know what, is, what are those things that are your struggles? Um, my wife she's, um, and my wife and my kids, they've been out of town for two weeks now. Two weeks. I've been like, I've been, I've been batching it the last two weeks, man, and that's probably why I locked my keys in the house today and you know, ran out of clothes and was eating spooled, drinking spooled milk the other day. And so, man, I'm falling apart. Um, so y'all pray for me. But I'm about to be back with my family tomorrow. Reunited and it feels so. All right, so. Um, but I have people in my life that, that when I've been isolated, and this, was, this has been a hard time for me. Whatever hard questions my wife doesn't ask me, I mean, she's one of those people that says, Chad, how are you doing? How are you fighting your, your sexual purity? I mean, how's it going? Are, how are you feeling? Are you upset? I mean, she's asking me these, these heart questions and whatever she doesn't ask. Um, I've got men in my life like Josiah Jones or Matt Phillips that are, that are spending time with me. They're inviting me over to their place or coming, you know, did some late night IHOP with Matt and, I mean, just hanging out so that I'm not alone very often because I know this is to be true, that when I get alone, I get idle. And when I get idle, my mind wanders to places it shouldn't. When my mind wanders the places it shouldn't, I begin to act upon the thoughts that are implanted in my mind. Not that I ask for those thoughts, but I'm just a dude, and so I've got crazy thoughts all up in mind. If y'all can see my mind, y'all be like, that dude is, mm-mm, I ain't listening to him no more. And so, but don't judge me, you got them too. And so I know that I've got to have people in my life. See, the wildebeest that's hanging out all by itself thinking he's just Stud McMuffin, he's just the dude, you know, the wildebeest that's hanging out all by himself in the midst of the, the lion's is not a stud, he's just next on the menu. 
And so if you're the Lone Ranger thinking you're going to change the world, you're wrong. Jesus did life with men. And if he needed men around him, I bet you do too. The Navy SEALs, some of the best warriors in the world, um, they, they understand this, the value of brotherhood. They, they say that they have a slogan that's like this, two is one and one is none. They know if they're going to have victory over their opponent, they're going to have to be together. They're going to have to be united. They're going to have to have a band of brothers that once one of them gets isolated, they become extremely vulnerable, and Satan is looking for the one that is alone, that is hurting, and that is suffering, and he's seeking to devour you. We're not made to do life alone. So run to the roar and wage war against the lion, the adversary that is seeking to devour you. And know this, point number three, that when we fight, we fight from our victory, not for our victory. I love this because we fight and we know the outcome. I love playing um, football in college because I finally got on a winning team. I don't know if you were the guy in high school that, like, you gave it your all, 48 minutes to a lifetime to remember, and you never won. Um, that was my story. And so I was like, God, give me another chance. I want to I win, right? Nacho said. And, uh, you know, so I went to college, and that first year was, like, magical. We were winning. And, uh, like, I was great. And I loved that, that time in the game where it was maybe, like, the third quarter, and you knew, like, you know, we, we got it locked up. You know, we, we used to do like saying like sewed up, we got it locked up, something like that. Anyway, and we knew like it was imminent that the victory was ours. And I loved it because I don't know if y'all have ever played a game like that. There's a lot of trash talk that goes on. I played in what's called the trenches on the D-line and O-line. And so every play's action. You're hitting these other guys and, and they're just talking trash like, oh, you're such and such, blank, blank, whatever. And I loved when we were winning because I could just go, oh, really? Scoreboard. Scoreboard. Oh, I'm sorry, you upset because you're losing? Scoreboard. Oh, somebody just called. It's the scoreboard. <laughs> Let's do this, right? <laughs> We're in the battle, but the victory is won. And we're not sitting here struggling, trying to win, like we don't know what's going to happen. And so when Satan speaks his lies in your ears, just point him to the scoreboard and let him know he is a defeated foe. We fight in the Lord's strength, with the Lord's strength, trusting that he is our victory. Verse 10 through 11, Peter goes on and he says, But may the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And he says, To him be the glory, to him be the victory, to him be the dominance, to him be the, the scoreboard is written out already, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. He says that he's going to perfect you. He's going to establish you, strengthen you, settle you. This word perfect, he's not going to, um, this idea that he will perfect you, not that you have to be perfect to come to Christ, but it's this word perfect means to actually means to repair, that Jesus is working to fix the things that are broken in your life, that once we get to heaven, we will not be, um, we will not be uh, just 
empty of all of our imperfections, but all of our imperfections will be made right, that we'll be reconciled with God, that we will be repaired. The dark places of our heart, the wicked thoughts that plague our minds, they will be eradicated. We'll have proper thinking about our our sisters. We'll have proper thinking about our brothers. We'll have proper thinking about ourselves. We'll know God completely. He'll fix all that is broken. He will perfect you. He will establish you. This means that he will turn you resolutely into a certain direction. He'll give you confidence. This is where your eternity lies. This is the meaning of your life. This is the purpose that you've been searching for. This is why you've been created. He will establish your way. He will strengthen you. He will give you strength in the midst of your darkest hour. He'll give you the ability to push through the pain of, of, uh, of forgiving somebody. He'll give, you, give, he'll give you strength and then he'll settle you. He'll put you on a solid foundation so that you can build up a spiritual house that is pleasing to God that your way will be honorable to him. And so I got a question. Are you ready to battle? As the band takes the stage, I want to tell you just this last story as we finish up. I love that we know so much about Peter. Because Peter, he he writes us these things, and if we were just to jump into 1 Peter and just read, we would think, man, Peter is like a stud. You know, he's this guy, he's a preacher, and he's writing this letter, and he uses words like dominion and propitiation and all these fancy things. And, And we would think, oh, man, Peter's always had it together. But we know about Peter, and I love that we know about Peter because once we understand the man Peter, we understand from the the place in which he has come and the place in which he is writing. And so there's this story in Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31 through 34, we have this story where Jesus says to Peter, he says, Simon, Simon, that's the name that Peter's mama had given him. Simon, Simon, he says, indeed, Satan has asked for you. This, this phrase, Satan has asked for you, could actually be extended to, to everybody. That Jesus is saying, look, Satan has asked for you, Peter, and for the guys. He's asked for all of you. That maybe even Jesus, maybe he put it like this, look, look, Peter, Peter, Simon, Simon, your adversary, he's walking around like a roaring lion seeking to devour you. He's asked for you so that he may sift you as wheat. It's this idea when they would cut wheat out in the field, they would gather it up into these, these big bundles, and they would take the wheat, and they would, st- they would straight up beat the ground with these wheat stalks and try to separate the seeds off of the wheat. And it's this idea that Satan wants to grab you, and he wants to just pound you into the ground because he wants to separate all the seeds of faith that God has instilled upon you so that you will be weak, so that you will be suffering, so that you will be hurting, so that he can move in and knock you out. He says, oh, Peter, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. And I love this because Jesus says, but I have prayed for you. And this prayer that Jesus prays for his boy, it extends to us too. Like Jesus is saying to us, even in John 17, that he's prayed for the believers. He's prayed for us, the future believers. In Romans 8, that Jesus is, he is mediating. He's calling out upon God to the, the, the request of our heart, that the Holy Spirit, he knows the groans of our soul. And that Jesus, he's praying that your faith would be preserved He says, I prayed for you, and I love this, because Jesus did not pray for Peter like, Peter, I prayed for you that this wouldn't happen to you. Peter, I prayed for you that you wouldn't have to go through this hardship. Peter, I prayed for you that that the pain would be removed. You know, those are the prayers we pray. Peter, I prayed that you would be blessed. 
that when the praises go up, Peter, the blessings come down. Peter, I prayed those happy prayers for you that my grace would abound and that my love would be sprinkled over you. Because I have future plans for you, plans to prosper you, Peter. I prayed these things. Jesus says, I prayed that your faith should not fail. Listen, in the economy of God, faith is more valuable than your health. In the economy of God, faith is more valuable than your happiness. That in in the economy of God, faith, it's the thing that brings us in the right standing before God. It's our faith. And Satan would have no greater pleasure than to devour your faith completely. And our generation is being consumed. But Jesus, he prays that your faith wouldn't fail. And I love this because he almost knows, like he knows the humanity of Peter. He hadn't put Peter up on a pedestal like, Peter, you can't fail. You're perfect. You're Peter. You're going to be my rock. There's no failure in your book. And he says, he says this, and when you have returned, he's assuming that Peter is going to fail. He says, when you have returned, this word could be converted or just turned back. He says, when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. That he says, Peter, though you may fall, strengthen your brethren. And I love this because Peter, <laughs> he's always so much like us. And he heard this news from Jesus. He's like, look, I know you're Jesus and everything, but you don't know me, all right? I'm Peter. <laughs> I walked on water. He's like, and you fell, <laughs> And Peter, I love him because he just says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you, both to prison and death. I will will punch Satan in the teeth. I'm Peter. And Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times. The rooster will not crow before you will deny three times that you know me. In this culture, when you did something three times, that means completely. And Satan, he devoured Peter through the mouth of a middle school girl. This girl standing around the fire says, Peter, do you know Jesus? And he's like, no, I ain't never met that, brother. Ask him again, but you sound like you're from Galilee, isn't he? Never seen him. A middle school girl punked the rock of the church. If you think Satan's not powerful, you're mistaken. But I love this because Peter, he, we know the story. He rose back up. The book of Proverbs says, though a righteous man may fall seven times, he gets back up. That it's not that you have to be perfect to be able to follow Jesus Christ, but you do have to stand back up and keep moving. Martin Luther King Jr. said, if you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl, but don't stop moving. That our our adversary, he's real and he's roaring, but we got to run to the roar. We got to resist the devil and know that he will flee from you when we draw near to God. He will draw near to you. We've got to resist him in our faith and in our community. 
We got to fight from the victory, not for the victory. We've got to get up. We've got to slay the lion. We've got to join the resistance and show the world the victory that is found in Jesus Christ. That though you may have been beat down, though you may have been broke up, though you may have been shamed by some other group of people, I'm, t- I'm here to tell you it's time to get up and shake the haters off and shake the dust off and let Satan that he will not have victory or dominion in your life. That Jesus is our victory. That though the sorrow may last through the night, the joy will come in the morning. That you've got to learn how to resist the lies that you're not worthy. You've got to learn how to resist the lies that God doesn't care for you. You've got to learn how to resist the lies that your suffering is meaningless. You've got to learn how to resist the lies that you can't control your sexuality. You've got to learn how to resist the lies that work is everything. You've got to learn how to resist the lies that you're nothing. And you got to understand that we've got to stand up and run to the roar. And I want to invite people just to stand up tonight because when we understand that our adversary has no teeth, his bite will not ruin us. We stand up and shout, my God is strong. We stand up and we shout, my God is victorious. We stand up and we shout, my God is alive. So join me and declare.